Hello and welcome to What Moves Us, the podcast where we ask what moves us or more accurately what's going to move us in future. With the Rail Innovation Group's Johanna Randall and Liam Henderson we look at debates, themes and decisions of the minutes that will impact on the way we get about in the future. Hello Johanna, you're there, how are you? Hi Liam, how are you? I'm good. You asked me how I was and I didn't answer, did I? I'm yeah. going to rep- I'm going to say it's cold in Scotland and I'm contemplating lighting the log burner. <laughs> Time we have a podcast, you always say how cold it is up there. I know, I know. It's because I'm a southern softie. <laughs> you said it, not me. Now, we also have a special guest on the line with us today who is... He's going to say... You want no. me to introduce myself, Liam? Um... <laughs> well, hello everyone. I'm uh, I'm John Witt. Uh, I I work for Eurostar, uh, and I've I've known Liam for a few years now, which I'm sure we'll get onto. But I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. No problems. And uh, I can obviously see on screen that you're sitting in a car, hopefully not driving, and safely stopped at the side of the road. Where are you in the world? Safely parked up, Liam. Um, I'm in the Peak District, which is where I live. Um, in fact, I've uh, very uh, timely just got off a train. I've been with my Eurostar colleagues today, uh, just arrived in Macclesfield, which is where I'm sat waiting to drive home to my house in the Peak District. So very lovely part of the world. Very lucky to be here. Excellent. So we want to have a chat with you today uh, to ask you more about culture um, at Eurostar. And we'll come on to all of those questions. But as a bit of context, can you tell us how you are connected to either the current or future culture of Eurostar? Yeah, it's a long story, and I'm conscious we haven't got loads of time, so I'll I'll keep it as short as I can. Um, I am in my second stint at Eurostar, uh, so I rejoined Eurostar about three months ago, um, having worked with Eurostar previously for 13 years. Um, So I I joined Eurostar in 2004. Uh, I left in 2017, spent six years working elsewhere within the rail industry uh, in, in, in the UK um, and recently rejoined. Um, and the, the sort of longer answer to the question, I, I suppose my my relationship, um, and I'll call it a love affair because that's what it is with Eurostar, started a long time ago, 19 years ago. Um, I did all kinds of different things there. Um, Eurostar was still a relatively young organisation in 2004. It had been going for 10 years. So travelling underneath the, um, uh, through the Channel Tunnel to, to France and Belgium was a pretty new thing still. Um, and I suppose I sort of grew with the company and grew up with the company and made a lot of friends there over those 13 years. Left for six years and had six fantastic years doing doing other things. Um probably zoning in a little bit more on culture and people and engagement and communications and all that good stuff that we'll talk about. Uh, and then recently rejoined Eurostar um, to support them uh, as they as they joined forces with Talis, who are another European rail operator. So my focus at the moment uh, is is on that um, integration uh, of those of those two operators, Eurostar and Talis. Uh, and I can talk as much about that as you want me to, Liam, because it's my it's my specialist subject at the moment. Right. Okay. Uh, so I guess, first of all, ladies, do you think, well, I mean, okay, so we can come on to, I obviously have about 10 million detailed questions for you, but uh, coming from Eurostar, why do they, why is there a focus on culture there? Um, I mean, culture is so 
enormous and fascinating and and you know we we could fill an entire episode just talking about our thoughts on culture and what it is and what it isn't and it's all very subjective i mean you know culture uh is probably no more important to eurostar than it is to any other organize any other organization um you know culture to me at least you know culture's always been really important um and of course it's different and it's made up of all kinds of different elements in the case of eurostar i suppose um the obvious sort of usp for eurostar is is, is that it's kind of you know multi european country by nature of the the stations that we run between we we run between the uk uh, and france belgium and, and the netherlands to amsterdam um so that sort of immediately brings something interesting i guess because you've got a mix of um you know customers of all different nationalities and, and of course colleagues of all different na- nationalities um and the um you know the, the joining forces with talis just sort of adds to that interesting mix really more destinations more different um cultures in a geographical sense so i guess that's kind of interesting to start with culture you know from a sort of corporate perspective because i suppose you can think about it in 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 different ways you can think about work and not work and if we think about work culture is really important at eurostar you know creating um a culture of uh of course, we have our corporate values, but I suppose if I was to describe Eurostar's culture, it would definitely be that sort of multinational um, makeup of the organisation and also a, a customer-centric organisation. You know, I'm sure that's quite a cliched thing to say. Anyone's going to say that about their company. But in my experience over those 19 years with Eurostar, it always has been a very customer-centric organisation. Um, and I think that uh, in the main, I think Eurostar does that very well. I think, you know, sometimes train companies get it wrong. Of course they do. I'm not going to dispute that. But I think in the main, I think Eurostar does that really well, puts its focus on on customers. And um, um, so that's a, a slightly rambly answer, Liam, and I could say more if you want me to. I think uh, I'd like to hear more um, because I think... I think most people probably would agree that in the main Eurostar do get it right in in terms of having that customer centricity. You know, almost you could say, you know, if if Eurostar was a piece of rock, you would see that through, you know, through everybody's veins and uh, and that you know chipped in. So how how does Eurostar approach that culture? Why does it get it right? And yeah, you know, and how how do you make sure that you know you're always you know, Keep, keeping that culture fresh and that people get it all the time I, I think about this a lot and I, and I think that it, it my my take on this is that there are lots of different elements which are all interlinked I think that I kind of alluded to this earlier Eurostar were um and still are to an extent pioneers you know that Eurostar was the first um operator uh, I know, you know, there's Le Shuttle that takes cars, but the first passenger operator to take uh, to take passengers through the Channel Tunnel from London to the continent. So that, you know, sort of, um, suppose was was the catalyst for for the Eurostar's culture of today. Um, the fact that, and there are lots of people who I who I work with now who've been there since day one. So there is this real sort of feeling of being pioneers, being innovative. Um, so that kind of breeds something um, quite exciting, I think, 
for colleagues and for customers. And then linked to that, I think, is Eurostar's brand, which, again, I'm, I'm biased. But of course, I'm going to say this, but I think it's really strong. I think people know Eurostar. Um, I think they like Eurostar as a brand. You know, when, when you sort of think about traveling from London to Paris, the language that a lot of us now use is I'll take the Eurostar. It's not I'll I'll take a train under the English Channel. I'll take the Eurostar. So Eurostar has a known and trusted brand. Um, everyone sounds so corny. I sound like such a company boy, but I really mean everything I'm saying. Everyone I've worked with at Eurostar is fantastic. Eurostar employs great people, um, and you know clearly it doesn't take a a genius to work out that you know if you've got a great brand and you've got got great pre great people then your customer experience is probably going to be pretty good and and i I want to sort of make it clear and caveat i i get that you know no one is perfect all of the time there'll be people probably listening to this podcast who'll think well hang on a minute i had a really bad experience and so i'm not saying that doesn't ever happen but in the main i think we get it right and and as to answer your question johanna I think it's just a sort of virtuous circle of all of those things. Great people who are proud to work for Eurostar, proud to work for the rail industry, want to do great things for customers, customers who have in the main a great experience. And and so the sort of um, virtuous circle continues. I kind of got two two questions. I think one of it aligns to what you were saying before, because in terms of um, focus you know focusing on you employ great people does part of that come from being able because the talent pool you're looking at and because of language requirements is is that your talent pool is so much greater so so that you can get that diversity of you know of getting great people but also I was also wondering as you know as well and this might be a bit controversial is because particularly in the last couple of years, everybody talks about with GBR, the success of GBR will be about changing the culture. So what lessons do you think GBR or any organisation in rail could learn from the approach that um, Eurostar takes? Um, I, now's probably an opportune moment to point out, as as I think you probably both already know, um, I, I worked for GBR or, or to be specific, GBRTT, the transition team, um, for probably a couple of years. Um, I, I didn't sort of cover my time away from Eurostar, but that was how I spent a couple of years. So, so it's an interesting question, and I and I you know have a bit of an inside view from both camps. Um, to answer your first question, Johanna, about um, you know Eurostar attracting great people, talent pools, etc. Um, that that language can be, uh, or or you know the the sort of requirement or preference to speak a foreign language can make things tricky actually because um you know there are some great people who I've worked with in in the UK rail rail industry who don't have a language that doesn't necessarily preclude them from working for Eurostar but having that language definitely helps. Um, having said that, yes, Eurostar has a fantastically diverse workforce. I I love. Um, the fact that when I, you know, walk into the office, I hear snippets of conversations. Sometimes it's in English, French, uh, you know, Belgian or Flemish. Uh, sometimes I'll join a meeting and not know whether I'm going to be speaking English or French. To me, that's really exciting and really motivating. And you hear it when you walk through St Pancras Station. You know, whether you're a Eurostar customer or not, you'll hear people speaking French, and I, I find that really exciting. And I think that, uh, you know, another I mentioned earlier, you know, the Eurostar brand. That is an attractive thing to people. I I think that's really important and, and is sort of at the crux of great organizations and great culture is having an attractive brand. Um, it's 
being honest, it's one of the reasons why I went back to Eurostar. My, my, I mentioned my love affair with Eurostar. Eurostar has always been in my heart. And when the opportunity to, to rejoin a few months ago came up, one of the things that attracted me back was the, the brand and the product and the service. So definitely that helps when you're trying to recruit great people is having a strong brand. So you have this virtual circle in Eurostar and now you're, you've got the challenge of integrating with another operator that has obviously a different culture and a different brand. Is, will that, is that virtual circle uh, guaranteed now that you have a diluted brand? The two organizations, Eurostar and Talis, are in my, I'm going to be full of caveats, in my, what is relatively limited experience in the past three months, but obviously I I, I was with Eurostar before and I knew Talis, that, that those two organizations are complementary. Um, every, you know, those, in fact, those two organizations are working hand in hand already from a, from a sort of customer perspective um, that, joining of Eurostar and Talis is perhaps not evident yet because uh you know there are two still two separate brands two separate websites and um you know different trains etc but from a kind of insider's view um we're working hand in hand together and all of the people in both of the organizations are fantastic my boss for example um is a I don't really know whether to refer to her as a, a Talis person because we're not thinking of it like that anymore. We're thinking of ourselves as one. Uh, we use the word Eurostar family, um, which uh, I'm, I'm sort of straying from from your question, Liam. But to answer your question, I, I, you know, I I haven't seen any cause for concern about the bringing together of those two organisations. On the contrary, I think you know, two great organisations with people who are probably hold similar values proud to work um for, for their organizations there there are some things which um i won't go into mainly because i'm not sure if i can given that this will podcast will be in the public domain but you know some things are perhaps not as straightforward um but from a cultural perspective um i i think that you know i've only got positive things to say i think the two organizations are complementary um, am I right in thinking that I read last month that um, actually um, Talis is going to be rebranded under the Eurostar family because of the fact that there was more recognition of the Eurostar brand amongst its core customer base? Yes, you are correct. And that's the thing I was hesitating because I couldn't remember <laughs> I couldn't remember what was, <laughs> what was public knowledge and what wasn't. Um, I really should know that, but... Um, but uh, yeah, the, the short answer is yes. And I think that that's, um, I can't remember exactly what you asked, Liam, but, but you know, that that's probably quite tricky for a lot of people who work for Talis. If I, if I put myself in that position and think about my sort of pride and, and love of Eurostar, um, to be sort of saying goodbye to some ele elements of that is, is quite difficult and quite sad, I guess. So, um, you know, I'm, and, and my colleagues, we're all very, um, aware of that and sensitive to that um that's a little bit tricky but um i think sort of overall thinking about culture you know broadly uh two great organizations full of great people and and i i feel genuinely i'm not just saying this because i have to i feel really excited and optimistic about the future eurostar uh, thinking about the eurostar family the future eurostar the new eurostar has 
you know, great ambitions to grow its network and increase passenger numbers. And that's that's a really positive, exciting thing. Um, so, yeah, it's it's overall it's positive. There'll be a few things which perhaps will be a little bit tricky before we get to this bright and positive future. But but the, the long term picture is is really positive and optimistic, I would say. But, but that's quite interesting. And going back to the question that I asked earlier about GBR and, and what lessons any organisation um, in GB Railway um, can can learn from your experiences, particularly around culture, that is quite is um, quite interesting because over the last twenty five years of privatisation, there's been frequent rebrands of train operators and you know and even for the infrastructure operator from rail track to network rail and that and everybody does talk about the success of gbr is all about culture but i know i know i know you you know you've been working at with the the task the the, the transition team and it's a huge it is a huge task so if you think you know in 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 a micro Cosm, you know, Eurostar and Talus merger and merging that together is actually quite small, despite the, the the geography and the language and the different you know nationalities involved with that. You know, what what what's your advice for you know GB Rail as you know as a whole, not necessarily GBR, but GB Rail in terms of tackling this big task? Well, it's quite nice because I feel sort of liberated now. I, I worked for GBRTT and now I can sort of openly perhaps speak speak my mind a, a bit more openly um i i think there's an awful lot i could say here I, I think this is sort of where we get into the nuances of culture because um the first and most important thing to say is that there is an awful lot that the organizations involved in with the future gbr there's an awful lot that they do really well and i think that that's to me that's the most important thing when when i was working on on this on the inside um i think there was too much talk uh about what was broken and what needed to change and, and i'm not saying that nothing is broken and that things don't need to change but for me there wasn't enough talk about the things that we do really well that we should retain and do in the future for example um the tremendous pride that people who work in the uk rail industry have you know you can have think whatever you want have your opinions about the industrial action that's that's been taking place for as long as i can remember but but one thing that i do have is respect for the people who take great pride and care in their job and looking out for their colleagues um and i think that's true right across the industry again genuinely everyone i've ever encountered in the uk industry does a fantastic job and takes great pride in their job so i think that that is is something to sort of hold on to and really dial up um i also think that um having a sort of single culture for the uk industry is unrealistic i, I think that you you quite rightly mentioned johanna the scale of it you know eurostar comparatively is a much smaller scale far fewer numbers of people involved um and eurostar strength and i spoke about this is its diversity, its diversity of people, its, diver its diversity of thought, um, diversity of values. That's good. We should, we should keep that. You know, in the UK industry, it's enormous and there's geographical differences and different working practices, different job roles. You know, there's engineering roles and station and onboard, etc. Well, of course, 
people are going to feel differently within those subcultures. And for me, that's that's fine. That's okay. Embrace that. Use that as a strength, and and you know, channel that diversity to be a to be a strength. Um, but this is all kind of everything's wonderful, isn't it? I mean, of course, not everything's wonderful. Otherwise, we wouldn't be looking to to change the UK industry and, and form GBR. Um, and I'm not going to kind of, you know, rake up, you, you could read the William Shapps report or whatever it's called now, the plan for rail, um, uh, and read for yourself about, you know, perhaps what, what could have been done better and what needs to change. There are things that need to change, but um, there's also a lot of good stuff. And I think that I suppose my two sort of conclusions would be one, don't forget the good stuff, hang on to that, continue to do that well. And two, um, embrace the diversity don't try and you know create one single culture with a load of gbr robots not that anyone's going to do that but i'm uh, using quite extreme language but embrace the diversity and the and the differences that we have because actually that's what makes us great john we normally fill up with a uh, piece of advice for either a supplier or someone in the industry so what advice do you have for young people think about joining the industry well, this is something that I spent an awful lot of time very close to. So so I'll, I'll try and keep it simple. Firstly, um, the rail industry is, is a fantastic industry and it is a diverse industry uh, in terms of the, the, you know, careers available. I think that one of my frustrations, and I'm I guess I'm talking about younger people, school age, um, is the, the sort of misconceptions about rail that it's, uh, when I tell people I work for the rail industry, you know, people say, oh, do you, do you drive trains? You know, people forget that there are careers in in marketing, in communications, in law or, you know, whatever, whatever you interests you, there is a career for you in rail. I firmly believe that. And I, and I think that rail needs to be a bit prouder about what a great industry is and about the diversity of careers available. Um, and my second thing that I always say is... Uh, and I suppose this is true to anyone um, in any career or industry, is that it's okay not to have a plan. My my career, I've never had a plan. And I've I've kind of wondered where opportunities have arisen and you know what what feels good at the time according to my own life situation, having children or whatever. And that's fine. Uh, and Rail, I think, is really good like that about uh, you know presenting opportunities to people to sort of diversify and try new things and if it doesn't work out that's okay but actually it might lead to something great so so for any young person or not even necessarily a young person maybe someone who's at a bit of a career crossroads it's okay not to have a plan you don't need to have it all mapped out um, i have diversity underlined about five times on my notes <laughs> The word Good. of the hour. You're very welcome. Thank you for having <laughs> thank, me. And, thank um, you. I, I feel we could have gone gone on for a lot longer. <laughs> we could. We definitely could have done. I'll I'll come back anytime you want me to. But um, thank you both. It's it lovely to speak to you and um, have a good rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks. You too. Well, that was quite the chat. Diversity, diversity, diversity. diversity. I know it does it does it does feel as though we didn't really have enough time to to discuss everything because there is just so much that we could have talked about because I think there's that was probably the first time that we've really talked in any detail about diversity for a couple of years on the podcast you know probably when we were um in the infancy of of our podcasting 
yeah. career um, at the um, first um, Trailblazers reception. True. Of which there was one a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> but um, but the thing I found interesting, particularly at the end, and sort of and also the way the converse how the conversation went all the way through when we got to sort of like asking John what he thought about the message to young people could be. And I never really thought about this myself because we we often have these conversations that nobody ever deliberately joins the railway. It's not a conscious decision. And part of what we're trying to do is get people to consciously make that decision. But of course, the best thing about rail is, is that you can build a career. You can, there's a job for everybody even if you don't know what the job is at the beginning or you join as something completely different, you can make a career out of it. And what's great about rail is its flexibility, is that you can start as somebody on a train, as I did, or in a depot, and you can go on to um, station manager, you can go into head office, you can go and work in the supply chain. I mean, like the possibilities are endless. I mean, like even at my dizzy age, I could even think about having an apprentice and becoming an engineer now if I wanted to. I think that's the thing is we don't talk enough, but we talk about, you know, we don't make it simple for people. But actually, once you're in, the barriers to entry are quite low and it's quite easy to diversify and try out new things all the time and move around not just the UK, but around the world with a career in rail. And we don't we don't actually sell that enough, I don't think. Yes. I mean, I'd advocate for the the topic I normally bang on about which is that not all jobs in rail need to be called rail jobs so Mm. you can go be a software developer you go do accounting they are in the industry they are not traditional rail jobs and they are also available and accessible i think i did see lner advertising than ai specialist before christmas maybe and I'd never thought I'd have seen that in my lifetime. <laughs> it's coming sooner than you think. <laughs> I went to a conference on AI yesterday. I would have liked to have gone, but um, but you know, um, my my cat is expecting any moment. <laughs> also, you're in Pilotry, and it was in. I am, but um, but I am travelling a bit at the moment, but um. No, it was. It was good. Uh, I still have diversity, diversity. We need to cover, I think, in our next podcast, we will do something more about more about diversity in the supply chain. And I would suggest how diversity in the supply chain and the culture in rail helps deliver access to a diverse range of customers. Yeah, I think I think that's a really important point to make because, as you know, Omanaka, a lot of the work that I do is around walking in people's shoes. And if we if we if we all have the same experiences and we don't have that diversity of thought and that diversity experience, how can we truly reflect our our customers? Right, we shall research and talk more. Merci. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of What Moves Us. We hope we moved you. For more episodes, you'll definitely want to subscribe to our channel. Till next time.